Welcome to Smart Talk on WGAL News 8's Brian Roach, sitting in today for the vacationing Scott Lamar. Last year, Visa and MasterCard issued a self-imposed deadline to introduce a new, more secure kind of credit card into the American marketplace. The banking and retail industry refer to them as EMV cards. That stands for EuroPay, MasterCard, and Visa. Remember that term because we'll be using that throughout the program today. But most consumers know these cards simply as chip cards. A chip in the card would replace the magnetic stripe on the back of the card that we have used for decades. But that deadline of October 1st, 2015 came and went without a lot of fanfare. And now, many months later, the transition to the new cards can be best described as slow. In fact, major retailers like Walmart and Home Depot have actually filed lawsuits against the big credit card companies, Visa and MasterCard, alleging that the credit card giants have been slow in introducing the cards to consumers. The legal actions also accuse Visa and MasterCard of not using the chip technology of the cards to its full extent, leaving consumers here in the U.S. more exposed to fraud than consumers in approximately 80 other countries around the globe. Merchants who have changed their payment terminals to accept these new cards report a 25% drop in the amount of counterfeit card fraud perpetrated. At the same time, law enforcement agencies report a growing number of card crooks flocking to the U.S. these days, trying to steal and duplicate as many magnetic stripe credit cards as they can before they eventually go away. While the U.S. accounts for approximately 25% of the world's credit card transactions, more than half of the credit card fraud in the entire world occurs in this country because our magnetic stripe cards are easy for crooks to duplicate. Today we're talking with Corinne Sherman of the Pennsylvania Credit Union Association and Brian Ryder with the Pennsylvania Retail Federation uh, Retail Association. I want to get that right. I want to thank you both for joining us today, and we're happy to be sitting here for Scott Lamar, who's enjoying a Scottcation, as we call it here <laughs> on WITF. Corinne, I want to start out with you. Uh, you and I did this topic last year, exactly almost a year ago to the date, and we were talking about the advance. So the cards were coming in October. Well, the deadline has come. You just heard the introduction that I read here. Has it been slow? Is that a good word to describe the introduction of these cards or lack thereof? Yes, I would say slow is a great way to describe it, Brian. Um, it's a process. I think we talked about that a little bit ago. Um, this has been a long time coming. As you said, it's everywhere. Pretty much it in the world except for the United States. Um, and it's a process. Uh, issuers did not just pick that October 15th and do a mass reissue of all cards. Um, there's a lot of things that have to be done in order to get the cards on the street from testing um, to card supply to, um, again, issuance. So mm -hmm. it's it's going to take some time to get it all done. And Brian Ryder, I want to get your two cents here in the beginning as well. This has not been an easy process for retailers, has it? It, it has <laughs> not, Brian. And I agree with what Corinne had said, is that, one, it is costly to retailers. I mean, they have spent billions, those who have already converted to the chip and pin from the old swipe. Uh, it, it is also costly to Visa and MasterCard, and that has created some problems for retailers who want to convert to this to try to minimize fraud for not only themselves, but consumers. Mm -hmm. Curran, why has this been um, such a challenge? I We were talking before we went on the air. In my opinion, and just my opinion, there was no hard, fast deadline 
It was a soft date. It was, let's try to do this. There was no mandate. There was no dictation of federal law or anything like that. And I'm not a big fan of more government, more rules. But why has this process been so slow? No, you're, you're right. First of all, I'll say it, it has not been a hard, steadfast law. It's a liability shift. Um, I think that in the United States, we've been really entrenched in our technologies and our, our communications and, and our consumer convenience. Um, and I think as EMV got implemented internationally and all of the fraud pushed here, it's it's been something that has, as we said, is long overdue. But there's a lot involved in making this type of shift. I, I have um, a lot of people who contact me and say, Who's to blame? I want to know who's to blame. Why don't I have my card in my wallet? And I'm hitting you here with a hard question. And if you can't answer it, that's fine. But is there any one group, one organization, one person to blame because this thing is not rolling out as quickly as we expected? No. I would say there is not one organization to blame. As I said, there's a lot involved. Um, you know, there's a lot of testing that needs to, to be done, as, as Brian said, from the retailer's perspective. There's a lot of equipment that needs to re be replaced. Um, all of that equipment has to be tested to make sure it's working properly. All of the cards have to be tested to make sure they're working, working properly. Um, you know, there's quite honestly only a handful of card processors mm -hmm. in the United States. They have a lot of people to get up and get ready for EMV. Let's dwell on the cost for just a second. You mentioned that the cards themselves, they're more expensive to make than the magnetic stripe cards we Correct. have. Correct. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're about double or triple the cost, of course, depending on the customization and, and that type of thing. And I think most of us, what we're seeing is cards are changing. Mm -hmm. If you notice now, your account number is no longer embossed on the cards. Right. It now looks flat. It almost <laughs> looks fake. <laughs> and, um, and Brian, the cost for retailers is, I've heard, figures anywhere from 500 to to $1,000 for these new terminals. Correct? Yeah. You are correct, Brian. It's anywhere between from what we've heard from our independent members and, and even our large regional, national, and international members. It can be anywhere between six to $800 to $1,000 per point of sale terminal, mm -hmm. and which is one of the reasons in, that you only have approximately 25% of cards that have been converted to chip and pin since October 1st of last year. And that's another number that varies tremendously. We Again, we were talking before we went on the air. I've read anywhere from 25% of them to some places have 70% uh, of the, the terminals ready to go uh, across the country. And I'm I'm a little skeptical of that number. 70%? Is, is that bother anybody? That seems excessive yeah. from what we're hearing right now. The fact that you're hearing the average number seems to be about 25, 30%, and when you hear 70%. And I think Corinne would probably agree with that. I, I do, and I, I also was reading something that it said 70% uh, of the consumers have an EMV plastic in their possession. I, so does that, as you said, Brian, you have a number of cards, and I only have, one has EMV. I so. have five cards. I have five credit cards, and I just recently, uh, three months ago, Long after the October 1st deadline of last mm -hmm. year, I f got my first chip card, and I have yet to actually use that. Well, I'm sorry. I take that back. I've used it once. I've just used it once. Am I in the minority there? Or 
like I said, I think they're coming. I know many of our credit unions have actually implemented a strategy for reissuance of the EMV card as to not have complete disruption of all of their cardholders at one time. Um, if you think about it, um, a lot of those cardholders have those cards set up for their Netflix account and, and all of their gym memberships and that type of thing. So as to not cause complete disruption, they, they've, they're strategizing about how they're going to reissue the cards and they've looked at those consumers who do the most international travel, um, consumers who probably use their card more than others. So th- there, there's a process, again. I keep saying that, but it, it's true. It's, it's ongoing. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF. We're talking with Corinne Sherman uh, from the Pennsylvania Credit Union Association and Brian Ryder from the Pennsylvania Retail Association. Got to get them all right. We are looking forward to your questions today. People are constantly asking me about this issue and my consumer work at WGAL. If you have questions today, we'd like to hear from you. 1-800-729-7532. That's the phone number. Again, 1-800-729-7532. If you're shy and you don't want to speak on the radio, you can email us, smarttalk at WITF.org. One question I'm going to throw out here for the both of you. As I just said, I use my card for the first time. It wasn't that difficult. I didn't need to use a pen. We'll get to that in just a second. But I continue to hear this report of it takes so long to do the chip transaction. It's a whole whopping 20 seconds of my life. Have you heard that, Brian? We do We do hear that from consumers. We hear it from our retail members that some consumers feel that this is taking longer with the new technology. Some do not mind taking another 20 or 30 seconds, Brian, as as you had mentioned, because they feel that their information and card numbers are more secure. It's worth the price. Yes. Others others do express concern. But as the process moves forward, depending upon which retail entity you're using your chip and bin card, some with their point-of-sale systems are faster than others. Mm Mm-hmm. And But, again, it is a costly measure to undertake. And as we had discussed off the air earlier, you shop in some of the wine and spirit stores in Pennsylvania. Some in central Pennsylvania have converted to the chip and pin. Others have not. But, mm-hmm. again, because it's because of the cost and time and effort and technology to, to do so. Current is that time transaction, that 20 seconds? For, again, mine was not 20 seconds. It was about five seconds. Is that common, and is it going to change? Um, I think maybe it will change over over time as the technologies improve and as all of the testing's done and, and that type of thing. Um, I was actually reading a, a consumer survey, and the, one of the complaints I heard was they don't like the noise that the terminal makes when they get the approval because it makes like what we in today's world would think of a decline noise. I don't really? know if the Retailers Association has, has heard that. We occasionally heard that, Corinne, and Brian, one of the other things too initially when you get the new chip and pin card and understanding how to use the card when you're making a purchase. Now it is displayed on the terminal, Mm -hmm. but you have to leave that in there until it's indicated to now remove card. And a lot of consumers do that before they get used to using the new technology. I did see a study from the National Retail Federation, I think it was late last year, that they surveyed people and consumers, almost 70% said they would rather take the extra time and have the chance to implement their PIN for the added security. And that segues us into another part of this issue here. One of the big debates has been that the PIN has not been implemented by the big 
uh, credit card companies. And anybody have an idea why? Well, because of the cost of Visa and MasterCard. That, that is one of the reasons. And in, in the last two weeks, Visa had issued a national press release dealing with the issue of chargeback mm. for retailers in, in fraud. And, and I'm grabbing my notes here, but effective July 22nd of this year, Belize, Visa will block all chargebacks to merchants under $25. I mean, they are recognizing that there is still a problem here in the technology, but the fact that they're only blocking charges up to $25 is still a major problem for the retail industry. And I guess that's these lawsuits that we're talking about, why, why uh, Home Depot is suing Visa and MasterCard. Is the PIN that more inconvenient, or is it that, it is that costly, as Brian is saying? Why aren't we using it, Kurt? Quite honestly, I think a lot of issuers have not issued PINs with credit cards, or they've issued them, but the consumers haven't remembered them, because usually when you're using your credit card, you're not taking it to the ATM machine where you would need a PIN number, you're using it at the point of sale where you just sign for the transaction. So again, it'll be a process. Um, they will have to issue PIN numbers to consumers who don't already have PIN numbers and consumers will have to have that PIN number or implement a pick your own PIN. Right now we are able to use the PIN card, I'm sorry, the chip card without yes. the PIN and we sign just as we have for a long, long time. And there are many people out there, and I would have to say myself included, that would say, what's so different about this system as compared to the last system? If, if someone could forge my signature, then this card can be used. If somebody has stolen your card mm -hmm. or found your card when it's been lost, yes, without the PIN, there's not a whole lot of additional fraud protection than what we have today. Mm -hmm. The chip card absolutely prevents from counterfeiting. Um, as the EMV cards get into all of the, the consumer's hands and as the retailers get all of the equipment deployed, I suspect we will see the PIN issuance and more migrating to requiring the PIN number as time moves on. And as long as we're talking about this, let's let's differentiate here. Uh, a lot of people that I've talked to thought that this would stop all credit card fraud if, once we had the chip out there, and that's simply not the case. We need to talk about here right now card present transactions. That's what this really helps to prevent that kind of fraud, right? Right, right. Um, Explain, what is a card present transaction as opposed to a not card present transaction? A card present transaction is just that. The card is present. Um, so there's a physical exchange of the plastic between the consumer and the retailer. Um, a card not present transaction is an over the phone, a mail order, or primarily online. That's where we see a lot of transactions are migrating to the online environment anyway. So if someone steals my credit card, pin or stripe, I'm sorry, chip or stripe, they can still use it somewhere else if they have the whole number somewhere. If they have the whole number, if they have the address on file, if they have the three-digit code on the back of the card, um, yeah, if they have a, a set of information, they, they can still perpetrate fraud. Brian, I want to go back to what you brought up before the chargebacks. First of all, uh, for our listening audience, explain what a chargeback is. I don't think consumers themselves may know what that is. Well, if, if you're using a Visa MasterCard and making a purchase... And somebody, there is a chargeback, whether you dispute the purchase or not, or your card has been stolen. Generally, the chargeback would go to Visa MasterCard. Mm -hmm. Under 
October 1st of last year. And if you're going to chip and pin, then what Visa MasterCard had advocated so much in this change is that the chargeback goes to the retailer's responsibility. Somebody comes in, makes a $100 purchase, they dispute the charge, it's a fraudulent purchase, regardless. Now the retailer, if you've gone to chip and pin, is responsible. Prior to that, Visa MasterCard was responsible for that fraudulent purchase or the chargeback. Yeah, and I'll just add to that. A, a chargeback's a term in the industry. It's how the issuers and yes. the retailers settle their disputes. Mm-hmm. So it's how if, if, if an issuer had a dispute against a retailer and we needed to get those funds back, we would initiate a chargeback. And there's rules that govern when they can be implemented and, and that type of thing. Thank you for clarification. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's, it's a difficult subject to discuss because, you know, let's, let's be candid here. Most of the time, consumers don't have to worry about this. Correct. It's an issue between the banker and the retailer. And I'll add to that, Brian. You know, Regulation Z and Regulation E limit cardholders' liability in the event yes. of fraud and, and counterfeit and that type of thing. thing. So consumers are protected. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm WGAL News 8's Brian Roach. We're talking with Corinne Sherman from the Pennsylvania Credit Union and Brian Ryder from the PA Retail Federation Association. I keep keep getting this wrong. And I I am a rookie here. Joe, are we doing a break here now? Or we can do a break? We'll be right back. Welcome back to Smart Talk on this Monday morning. I'm WGIL News 8's Brian Roach sitting in this morning for the vacationing Scott Lamar. This morning we are talking about your chip card. This is the new chip credit card that was, well, it's been introduced to us for probably the last year or so, but a lot of people are concerned that it's not coming out as quickly as we expected and they don't have their chip card yet and they're wondering if they've been left out of the fray, if they're not getting the... Uh, the fraud protection that they were entitled to or they were expecting. We're speaking with Corinne Sherman from the Pennsylvania Credit Union Association and Brian Ryder from the Pennsylvania Retail Association. Association. I'm going to cross this out here, Brian, because I keep messing this up. We are starting to get some emails in from viewers. Let me read one right, right now. Please let the listeners know that the credit unions will not let them know that their current cards become inactive when their new cards become activated. This happened to me and created confusion and a hassle with the membership I was working on. Corinne, I guess I'll address that one to you. I and mean, they don't mention any kind of credit union. I would I guess they're saying their new card and the, or the old card didn't become inactive when they got the new card. I uh, think I can't speak for that particular one, but yeah, when a new card's issued, um, usually what will happen is when you make the activation for the new card, then the old card becomes inactive. Um I know Visa MasterCard recently implemented something called the Account Updater Program, Mm -hmm. where when that type of card exchange happens, um, the issuers will automatically notify some of those recurring merchants that we talked about earlier, the Netflix, the gym memberships, of what the new account number is to try to limit some of the disruption for the consumer. I would tend to think, though, as a consumer, once I get my new card, the old card is in the rotated uh, the garbage file hopefully yeah. hopefully yeah normally what will happen is once you activate that then the old card becomes deactivated another email we got chip technology we were just talking about this chip tech chip technology is long overdue and will greatly reduce overall fraud but not until the u.s implements a pin to validate the transaction chip and signature is no more secure as swipe and signature and we were just talking about that and brian these, these new terminals um they they can easily take a pin. I mean, just, that's what they're designed for, right? 
once once they are activated, and again, you have some retail organizations locations that can they have the technology to insert the card for the chip and pin, but it's not been activated yet, where you're still swiping your card. Okay. Uh, here's another email. Interesting. Um, my credit union sent me a chip card, and about a week later, I bent my card directly on top of the chip. Well, I'm not going to ask how. <laughs> I was really worried that it would not work, and when I finally had to use the chip, it did not work. I had no other form of payment. Luckily, the clerk knew what to do. If you bend the chip or damage it, you have to insert it three or four times and then swipe it like a regular credit card. I guess we're learning something new here about the whole process, huh? Yeah, I guess like just before when we could demagnetize that magnetic stripe or scratch the back of that, now we'll have to worry about damaging the chip. Huh. Yeah, that was very interesting. Brian, I want to drill down a little bit more on, on the cost to, to retailers here. Um, this is, is it safe to say that is the primary concern for retailers in this whole situation, the cost of the terminals, or is it security? How would you um, prioritize those? Well, Brian, it, it's it's a combination of the price and security. And again, as I mentioned earlier, retailers have spent billions of dollars since last fall trying to comply with these changes that are coming with chip and pin in the United States. But again, we're still waiting upon Visa and MasterCard to provide these cards to so many of the consumers and so many of current members out there that that they have these. And again, when you look at for a small mom and pop retail location is spending six hundred to a thousand dollars per point of sale terminal to change this, that is significant. Hmm. Okay. And, and quite honestly, it could be a business decision as much, you know, that, that that's very costly. If that's a retail location that's never experienced any type of fraud, mm-hmm. um, I think some of these smaller retailers may be faced with that type of business decision for now. They're not only faced with that, Grant, but they're faced again with the chargeback issue. Mm-hmm. And that's a multi-billion dollar issue for the retail association. A- absolutely. And you look at the majority of purchases that are made in whether it's a department store, big box, independent retail store, discounter, that the majority of these purchases are being made on Visa and MasterCard. And so there is a lot of caution in converting over to this, and in addition to the cost involved. We have a caller on line one. Uh, Jim from Enola uh, wants to talk about the deadlines that consumers have to report fraud. Good morning, Jim. Good morning. Uh, yeah, this is a this is a great topic. Um, but one, you touched on one thing that I think you ought to go into a little more detail on. This, by the way, I, I don't, don't believe is a change in the new law, but I think a lot of consumers don't realize that once they find that, uh, that there's been unauthorized use, they have a deadline to report that to the financial institution in order to limit their liability. And if they follow those deadlines, their potential liability is very small, and I, I just think not enough customers understand that. So I'd appreciate if your experts would go into uh, some detail on that. Corinne, that's right in your wheelhouse there. Would you mind explaining that to people? And it's a, and it's a great question. It is. Thank you, Jim. Um, first of all, I'll just say that Visa and MasterCard, outside of any consumer federal regulations, Visa and MasterCard have what they refer to as a zero liability policy. So if it is a Visa or a MasterCard, they prevent a card issuer from holding a consumer liable for 
any fraudulent counterfeit dollar amounts that would appear on their account. However, um, that does not, you know, um, excuse a consumer from not reporting their card lost or stolen as soon as they discover it um, or being negligent with their card in, in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe the Federal Regulation Z, which is what covers your credit, and Regulation E is what covers your debit, um, just requires that a consumer report it as soon as they um, discover the, the, the lost um, I've talked to a lot of people who have been victims of credit card fraud, and they have a variety of um, – they think they have a variety of options afterward. One, don't do anything. The credit company, the credit card will take care of it. Not a good idea. Correct. Two, I reported it to the police, so the police are going to notify the credit card company. Not necessarily. You need to pick up that phone and contact your card provider, Correct. don't you? And there are, there are responsibilities that come with – that zero liability. Um, you know, you may have to go into your credit union and you may have to complete paperwork. You may even have to get a form notarized mm-hmm. saying that, you know, that wasn't you or anyone you know that used your card. Brian, I want to circle back to this whole uh, the lawsuit issue. And I'm not going to ask you to represent Home Depot or Walmart, who've both filed lawsuits, but from the retail federation or from the retail side of, of things give us an idea of why they did that are they representing me as the consumer are they trying to protect me or are they trying to save a little bit of money for themselves because i know they pay a little bit more quite honestly to to process these transactions with the signature or is it a little bit of both and i and i don't mean to put you on the spot here but i guess i am well brian that's <laughs> that, that's quite all right and i don't feel you're putting me on the spot but from the retail industry's perspective it's it's about the consumer, the customer, mm-hmm. and trying to make sure that, that they are properly protected. But the retailer industry also has to protect themselves. And the fact that Visa MasterCard has been, for lack of a better word, delinquent in making sure that these cards with the new technology are issued to consumers... Now, it's, it's been very problematic. And again, from a legal standpoint, and I am not an attorney, so I can't speak from that perspective from the lawsuits or even on behalf of some of our members who have filed these suits against Visa MasterCard. But it's problematic. But it's about the consumer and making sure that they're feeling comfortable when they're using this new technology, when they're making purchases, and that that new technology is available to them and the retailers. You deal with retailers here in the Commonwealth. Uh, did the local retailers... Is this a, an annoyance issue to them? Is it a major issue? Is it more of a national issue than, we're, than, than a Pennsylvania issue? Pennsylvania tends to mirror national trends. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would say, you know, being the fifth and sixth largest state in the country, we're, we're very similar to the national trend on this with consumers, with business owners, retailers, and, and dealing with this whole issue and trying to move forward. And again, making sure that the technology is there to protect the consumers and and the technology is there to protect the retailers. Once again, we want to remind you that we we welcome your questions and comments on this issue. You can call us at 1-800-729-7532. 
or send us an email to smarttalk at witf.org. You can also leave a question or a comment on witf.org or on WITF's Facebook page. Again, that phone number is 1-800-729-7532. I know, again, when we did this last year, uh, Corinne and I were talking about this year, we had a lot of people calling in, and uh, the questions, in my opinion, have not stopped. I'm constantly hearing from people about this issue. So if you have a question, please give us a call. So, Corinne, we were just talking about Pennsylvania there. Let's go international here now. You met, you brought this up before, and I wanted to bring it up again. 80 countries. 80 countries are doing this successfully. Right. And, it, you know, people have often asked me, why we are the largest industrialized nation in the world. Why can't we do this? Tell us what you can about how this process has been working and how long it's been working, the pin and chip in other countries. Well, it was really um, implemented in Europe in 1998. So that is how long ago Europe started this transition to EMV. Mm -hmm. Um, And they are still not 100% EMV in Europe. Most places are, but they are still not 100%. Um, So we keep going back and forth here about why it's taking so long. Uh, 1998 was a long time ago. Yes, it was. We're talking <laughs> so, about we're 18 years. Yeah, so it's going to take us a good 10 years to get this good and entrenched here in the United States. You know, we haven't even started really on debit cards. Um, debit cards haven't been issued EMV. You know, we t- we're talking a lot about Visa, MasterCard. There's close to 20 different debit networks in this country. Mm-hmm. So that's even more complicated than Visa, MasterCard because we're really looking at a, in the credit card environment, there's four main payment networks, mm-hmm. American Express, Discover, Visa, MasterCard. So we only have those four sets of rules to deal with. In the debit environment, there's 20 so that's going to be a whole different set of challenges as the debit environment gets ramped up. We have to get the ATM machines replaced, which is going to be the same challenge that the retailers are facing. Mm-hmm. Um, some of those machines will be, will be able to be upgraded, but a number of those machines will have to be totally replaced. Um, so, yeah, we're looking at a, another 10, 15 years here, to, I, I think, till we really can get this good and entrenched here in the United States. And you're half a step ahead of me here because uh, I was about to say, we're not done with this. <laughs> oh, I mean, no, this is this is the first step. We're doing the chip now. You touched on ATMs. That's the next process. And then gas stations. Gas stations. The um, deadline for the pay at pump gas stations is October of 2017. Um, that's a liability shift there. And back to the ATM, the liability shift there ends up concluding with Visa in October of 2017 as well. Now, Brian, I don't know if you work with the, the gas folks. We, 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 we do not represent them, but I will add to what Craig said is that you know, that deadline is October of 2017. She said, well, it's going to be like the deadline, I'm afraid, for consumers and, and those businesses accepting Visa and MasterCard that Visa and MasterCard is not going to have the technology updated yet to issue these chip and PIN cards. On the debit side. On yeah, the debit gonna, side, yes. It's and, and, and we have to rely on not only Visa, MasterCard. There's eight, Again, I talk about the ATM networks. There's Star. There's Pulse. There's all those other little, if you turn the back of your card over, you see all those little logos. 
All of those are ATM networks that are also going to have to implement rules and technologies. Make, making life convenient for consumers is, is, is kind of uh, costly and it's <laughs> confusing at times, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, what's going to happen to the terminals at the gas stations? Do they all have to be replaced? Yeah, <laughs> I should. We should add somebody on here from the <laughs> petroleum industry. Uh, you know, I don't know because think about that. I don't know if the terminals. You already insert your card. You already dip your card into those terminals. So maybe they'll just be able to do something on the inside of those that just reads the chip as opposed to the mag stripe. Okay, we have another caller on the line. Uh, David's on line three from Duncannon, and uh, well, David, we've we've kind of addressed this question, but I want to hear a consumer ask this question: Why is the U.S. lagging? Why not institute the pen? Da- tell me what your thoughts are on this. Yes, uh, every time we travel when we leave out of country, I have to call the person I call my card nanny. Your card nanny. Well, that when I'm going to be there, all because we have like the world's lousiest security compared to Europe. Over there, the people over there have cards with pins on them, and they don't have to go through all this, and they don't have the security headaches. And why does not this country do it right the first time? We always have to take the cheap route and then bemoan the results, and that's exactly what we've got here. And I, I just, I'm tired of seeing Europe light years ahead of us in so many ways, and I just, I just, it's frustrating to me as an American citizen. I think our country's let us down. Our banking system has let us down. I just am just frustrated at the point of exhaustion over this matter because I don't like a lack of security. I want the best security. I don't want a compromised system. So I wish they would do something about that once and for all and correct the situation. David, I can hear the frustration in your voice, but I have to tell you that you did bring a little levity to the studio here. We got a big kick out of Card Nanny, and uh, that is that's a valid point because more and more people I talk to, they I don't, they, I don't like reporting to these people where I'm going and when I'm going to be there because then you open yourself up to robbery or who knows what. Mm-hmm. I'm not one of these idiots that goes on Facebook and tells everybody where I'm at. Well. They can break into my house. That's and I don't like telling the card nannies where I'm at either. Corinne, so. you look like you want to say something. You no, know, I was just going to, not that this, just kind of give you a little bit of insight as to why some of that goes on. And I, I think the EMB and the chip card will definitely decrease that. But all of the card processors have this thing running in the background called a neural network, David. And when you uh, transact in a place that's outside of your normal buying pattern um, and buying location, um, it's the card processor's attempt at helping to try to decrease and, and catch fraud as we migrate to EMV. And that's where a lot of time consumers will get that phone call that said, I recognized, you know, XYZ purchase. Was that you that made that purchase? Yes. So, but that's why you, you do report that just to try to not to, again, it doesn't change the situation, but at least wanted to explain a little bit why you have to report to the card nanny. I, yes, and I think that phrase is going to stick in my mind. But again, <laughs> it's something I've personally experienced. My wife and I went out to Arizona earlier this year, and I, as I told you, I have five credit cards. I actively use three of them, and I did not call the one credit card company. And I went out there, and I, you know, it's a life of leisure in Arizona. I went to play golf, and my card uh, was declined because I had used it earlier in that day, and I realized I didn't call. And when I did call them, they said, your card's being used in Arizona. So I understand David's frustration. We all, we're all we all very um, acutely aware of privacy, 
But at the same time, if you don't make that advance notice, your card is probably not going to be right. used. And especially if you go to a foreign country. If you go to a foreign country, and have either one of you been to a foreign country and tried yes. to use your Stripe card? I have not. You, yes. you, you get a look, Brian, that <laughs> like, what planet are you from? <laughs> I mean, they have to go and get the special terminal that they bring out to the, the table and they plop it down. Like, here you go. There you go. You're... you're you're one of those people. You don't have the modern technology, as David was just saying. We need to, to catch up to this. And so it's, it's, a, it's a little bit of frustration in that regard. Um, I want to remind you folks that you can hear today's show and previous editions of Smart Talk at WITF.org slash podcasts or with the WITF app. You can also hear the entire program tonight at 7 o'clock. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF. I'm Brian Roach. Welcome back to Smart Talk on this Monday morning. I'm Brian Roach from WGIL-TV, sitting in for the vacationing Scott Lamar. They call it Scott Cation here at WITF when he is away. And uh, as I said earlier, he's he's enjoying his vacation. I have evidence of that on his uh, one of his uh, Facebook pages. So enjoy your vacation, Scott. Uh, we have a caller who could not stay on the line, and I want to uh, address his question here. Uh, he said he has two chip cards now. He's one ahead of me. He has one from a credit union, one from a bank. Both have the numbers embossed on them. Karini points out that you said the, earlier the new cards did not have the number on them, and he wanted you to clarify that. And, and again, I think we need to differentiate here that this this diff, this varies from bank to bank yeah. and issuer to issuer. Absolutely, yeah. The and Brian Ryder's reading for his card right versus now. Versus the um, what they call the flat printing um, for, versus the embossed. It does vary from from issuer to issuer, um, from card uh, producer to card producer. You know, there's different facilities that produce the cards. I actually think probably the flat cards are less expensive mm -hmm. than the embossed cards and easier to produce. I, I can't remember what mine mine has. But there is no rule requiring flat versus embossed anymore, so we'll see a, a mix of both. Brian, I want to circle back to the terminal issue. Uh, we talked about the cost, and we've we've all seen, I guess, the various estimates on the cost of these terminals. Um, and I am not an IT guy by any means. And, Nor am and I, no, Brian. Well, <laughs> then I may be putting you on the spot asking you this question. Um, when retailers do this, uh, when they change the terminal, do they have to change their infra infrastructure of their technology, or is that too hard? Is that beyond our boundaries here? Well, it, it depends upon what type of retail establishment you're addressing, and so much more information is contained within your point of sale system anymore than just you know, accepting a credit card and or cash or check for purchase. I mean, you, know, you, you have you, know, you have your customer information in that terminal, and and a lot of other things. So for me to, to try to speculate the cost on the average is very difficult, mm -hmm. but it's just not a checkout system anymore. Yeah. And so you just don't plug it in and it goes away. But... Exactly. And, and, to, and to what the cost of updating would be, are you replacing the whole point of sale? Are you replacing your, your swipe slash inserting for chip and pin now, or is it the whole system? I, I can't answer that not being a retail professional. I think the one thing we're getting at here is we all still have more questions than answers oh, on, this, on this whole thing. And, and as you said, it's, it's, a, it's going to be a moving target. Uh, Mike from Harrisburg called in, and he uh, uh, couldn't stay on the line, but he does uh, share this frustration. He says retailers say they're waiting for the software update or something along those lines. As he wrote, comment, he wanted to comment on the frustration people may feel when they're encouraged to new, use the new cards, but they can't. And I know what he's talking about here. Yeah. I have been, uh, just over the weekend, I was in a store. 
I was in several stores, and it varies. Thank you. It, <laughs> in Pennsylvania, Brian, I want to make sure. Uh, and you know, it varies from store to store. You get into some of them, and there's a piece of tape across the bottom. No chips yet. Another store that I went into said chip cards coming. Uh, the date of July, and I believe, and please don't quote me out there, world, I think that was a state liquor store that said, you know something about that? Uh, well, absolutely. I, mean, I mentioned that earlier in, in, in the conversation. In, in central Pennsylvania here, there are some of the state wine and spirit stores that are accepting pin and chip cards and others that the technology is there, but they have not implemented it yet. Mm-hmm. So you're still swiping your credit card. And my guess is every retailer and the systems and the hardware and systems that they're having in place has to be done at the individual retailer level. So there's probably quite a queue build up and only so many individuals to come out to the retailer locations and and implement that. Is that right, Brian? I mean, that has to be done at every... Oh, absolutely. And and when you're looking at a lot of individual retail merchants that are small businesses. We've tried to provide our members with as much information as we have. And again, we are not experts on this issue, but they're like, okay, how do I update this? And the information that they have received from Visa and MasterCard has been slow. Mm-hmm. We're sp- uh, speaking with Corinne Sherman from the Pennsylvania Credit Union Association and Brian Ryder with the Pennsylvania Retail Association. I'm finally getting it right. Another issue I want to circle back on here. Um, this statistic, and, and I found statistics varied all over the place. A statistic that says almost 70% of U.S. consumer credit cards now have chips. This is according to MasterCard. 70% of U.S. consumer credit cards now have chips. I have two MasterCards. Neither one of them has a chip. 76% of the 200 biggest merchants are now able to accept them. I see you raising your eyebrows. Are you skeptical of this, Corinne? Yeah. And I, I, it seems like a high figure, it? Doesn't does it does seem like a high figure, and that's why I think it goes back to that one stat I read earlier. Is it 70% of consumers have a chip card, or is it 70% of the cards out there? I, I do think it's high. I think, um, you know, everybody wants consumers to be optimistic and wants everybody to be optimistic and... Um, Not, I just don't think we're that far along. Not that far along. I just don't think we are. Well, Brian, I, I will mention in the press release that Visa issued in the last two weeks entitled Visa to Help Accelerate EMV Chip Migration and Support Merchants, there was no reference to how many cards have been converted to chip and pin in mm-hmm. their press release. Well, if we're going by just what's in my wallet and, you know, the world centers around me as far as I'm concerned, 20 percent, 20 percent of my cards are, are chip enabled right now. And you're telling me that my debit card is probably most likely the next one in line? Probably. I mean, you should have all your credit cards on chip first and then your debit card would be next in line. Okay. We have a viewer writing in here that uh, she got her card last November. Uh, she said most of the clerks that she's encountered said the software was not available to them, even though they had the machines, as we've been discussing. But I'm finding in the past month or so, many more stores are using the chip machine in our area, at least in the larger stores. Why do you think that is? Are we, is going back to the, the chargeback issue we were talking about? 
Well, the, the, the chargeback issue is still a problem when you are converting the chip and PIN. Again, as a retailer accepting Visa and MasterCard mix, in the past, you were not subject to that chargeback. Well, in many instances, you are now, but consumers are demanding this, and you can't alienate your customers and you know, people that have the chip and PIN cards now, and you're making every effort you can, assuming Visa and MasterCard are cooperating and, and Amex to convert your point of sale systems to accept these. And I will use an example of the, the local drugstore in, in which I shop. They started accepting this probably four months ago, mm-hmm. but have improved their technology where it's half the time now to conduct this transaction. And I believe that consumers who were initially frustrated, as we discussed earlier, with, with the delay, whether it was 20, 30, or 40 seconds, retailers are, are making the effort to provide better service to consumers who are using this chip and PIN card when they can accept it. We, um, and on all of our lines of work, all three of us, we are probably more than intimately familiar with consumer convenience. Uh, and <laughs> it's what we live and die on. And uh, I, wanna, I wanna continue to focus on this PIN issue. The, the belief is, from what I'm getting from Visa MasterCard, is they just don't wanna have consumers to have to worry about another PIN. We have PINs, we have passwords, we have more PINs, we have more passwords, we have passwords and PINs. <laughs> Do consumers not want that, uh, to have to worry about another four-digit PIN? I'm gonna imagine you guys have to study that in the banking yeah, industry. Yeah, you know, I think that our argument's probably old now. I, I mean, <laughs> at the time I could see that, but yeah, you're right. I mean, I have an app where I have just to keep all my PINs, passwords, log on IDs, and you know, everything that you need, so I think, uh, that argument where consumers can't handle another PIN number is probably long old now, and it's time to uh, get get them issued. It's just, again, I think we have to get the EMVs in the hands mm-hmm. uh, of the consumers. And Brian, I have to imagine the retailers, they want that process, the checkout process, to be as quick, as possibly convenient as it can. Absolutely. They want that process expedited for their customers. They want their customers to be satisfied and not have concerns when they're using this new technology. Uh, and again, this is one thing that I've been asked repeatedly, and I want to repeat it. The card is not foolproof. It's the new chip card is not. Uh, it cannot be totally devoid of fraud. It can be duplicated in some way, shape, or form, right? Oh, a- absolutely. Even if you're using that new card, as you had mentioned earlier, Brian, when you're making purchases online, I mean it's. Now, because you're you're you are providing that number, mm-hmm. and so going to chip and pin doesn't greatly reduce fraud on online purchases. A current the uh, the credit union association. Do you guys keep track of how many cards are out there through the credit unions in Pennsylvania? We don't have access to all of them, so no, we don't we don't keep track. But again, we see credit unions. I've not I've not seen any credit union do a complete mass reissue. Again, what I've seen them do is either do them by expiration date or by just different, mostly usage factors of their membership based upon how often. You know, the more somebody uses their card, the more likelihood there is that fraud will take place Mm -hmm. um, or that information will be counterfeited or whatever. So 
they, they have a strategy in place as to not to do them all at one time. And uh, I think the fraud we need to point out again, uh, as, as has been statistically evidenced in England, is it's the kind of fraud where the phone fraud involving credit cards over there went up 200% because the, the best way to get this card is to get someone to convince or convince someone on the phone to give me the card number. And once they have it, they can still use it, right? Yeah, I, I suspect uh, definitely we'll see additional security measures put in place at the online retailers, um, which I'm sure they're already working on technologies to protect consumers um, when it comes to online purchasing. We have another viewer email here. Are contactless payments with smartphones as secure as chip and pin? Well, we weren't talking about smartphones here, but Brian and I both look puzzled, so we look at Corinne. <laughs> Uh, can you take a stab at that? You, you know, here's what I will say. The contactless payments with your smartphone are being made from wallets. That's what they call it, a digital wallet. You're taking, in most cases, the information from the physical card in your wallet, mm -hmm. your, your physical plastic that has the chip, and you're putting that into the smart wallet in your smartphone. So... I'm there, skeptical myself. There's a lot of technologies there. You know, we were talking earlier before we, up, we went on the air about RFID devices and can somebody extract that information from your phone from a reader? Mm -hmm. I, yeah, that's a little bit out of my area of expertise there. I want to thank you both for joining us today. I'm going to give you each 30 seconds. You had some final thoughts on this whole process, so the lawsuits that are coming out, the, what the consumers face. What do you think? I, I say as a consumer, be patient. Um, you know, I, we said it took over 10 years for this technology to be implemented in Europe. Um, I know not of us, uh, none of us like a lot of government regulation, but you are protected. Um, work with your credit union, you know, work with your financial institution um, if you have unique needs and um, be patient. Brian, final thoughts? Uh, thank you, Brian. Thank you, Corinne. I, I would echo, Corinne, to, to the customers in Pennsylvania retail establishments, be patient when you have a chip and pin card that's been issued by Visa, MasterCard, or Amex, and our members are out there working as diligently as they can to accommodate this new technology and all their customers, and we just encourage you to all get out there and shop as much as you can. Be patient. We're all in this together, right? Correct. Corinne Sherman from the Pennsylvania Credit Union Association and Brian Ryder from the Pennsylvania Retail Association. <laughs> took me the whole show, but I finally <laughs> got it right. Thank you very much for being here today. You're welcome. You can hear today's show and previous editions of Smart Talk at WITF.org slash podcast or with the WITF app. You can also hear the entire program tonight at 7. I want to thank our engineer, Joe, here, who did a fantastic job guiding this rookie through this whole process. I'm WGAL News 8's Brian Rich. Thanks for being with us on tomorrow's program. I'll look at sleep and your health with ABC 27's Valerie Pritchett hosting for the Vacationing Scott Lamore. Have a good day.